Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 296. The key is not to prioritize what you schedule, but to schedule what you prioritize. Stephen Covey. Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, my Indie Film Hustlers, to another episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble host. Alex Ferrari. Today's show is sponsored by Black Box. Black Box is a new platform and community that is all about financial freedom for filmmakers like you. If you join Black Box, you will be transformed from being a worker to being a maker of your own content. And you'll be making steady passive income from the global market. Black Box currently allows you to upload your stock footage once, get it to many global agencies, and then allows you to share that passive income stream with your collaborators. Whether you want to submit old footage that's been sitting around in your hard drives or create brand new content, Blackbox is for you. It's really quite revolutionary. With Blackbox, filmmakers can concentrate on making great content while Blackbox takes care of all the business BS. Just visit www.blackbox.global to find out more. And today's show is also sponsored by Indie Film Hustle TV, the world's first streaming service dedicated to filmmakers, screenwriters, and content creators. If you want access to filmmaking documentaries, feature films about filmmaking, interviews with some of the top screenwriters and filmmakers in Hollywood, as well as educational online courses all in one place, IFH TV is for you. Just head over to IndieFilmHustle.tv. Now, guys, today on the show, we have Jen McGowan. She is a writer-director and uh, she's a pretty remarkable filmmaker in general. But I wanted to have Jen on uh, to talk about her latest film, Rust Creek, which is being released by IFC Films. But also I wanted to talk about her other amazing films that she's done, her Oscar uh, qualifying film, uh, Touch, as well as Kelly and Cal, which starred uh, Oscar nominee Juliette Lewis, uh, and a bunch of other things that she's done. But in this episode, though, I wanted to kind of get into what it's like to be a director in independent film and also be a female director or a minority director. And I I asked her about this and she was so game and so forthcoming about talking about her experience about being a female director. And I've had many female directors on before uh, on the show, but uh, I've never asked this question. It's generally a question you don't ask, but I, I really feel it's important to get this information out there for not only female directors listening to the show, but also uh, male directors as well, to kind of see what it's like from her point of view. 
And again, I want to thank Jen so much for being so honest and raw about her experience and uh, just the state of independent film. She's doing a lot of great stuff for independent filmmakers, mentoring film uh, makers coming up and uh, creating opportunities for other filmmakers through companies that she's working with and has created herself. In general, Jen's a pretty awesome person, and I really am so blessed that she came on the show. So without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Jen McGowan. I'd like to welcome to the show, Jen McGowan. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Jen. Hello. Thank you for having me. Appreciate that. Now, uh, I've had many female directors on before, uh, mm-hmm. but we are going to get into some deep stuff today. Oh shit! Okay. Okay. <laughs> so it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be uh, hopefully educational to everybody listening. But Am first, I feel like I sat in an hour long therapy session. Is that what's gonna happen? I think it's gonna be. If you were a tree, what kind of tree would you? No. <laughs> All right, let's do it. All right, so first of all, how did you get into the business? Well, so my mom's a nurse. Mm -hmm. My dad worked for the government. I grew up in Northern Virginia outside of Washington, D.C. So Hollywood all the way, got it? Yeah, totally. (laughs) And uh, I kind of had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. And my parents were like, as long as you can feed yourself and pay your bills, awesome. Um. Luckily, in high school, I took some acting classes, and I was good, and the instructor, you know, she really encouraged me, and I was like, oh, I guess I'll do this. Mm -hmm. Um, So I applied to NYU. I applied to a bunch of schools. I got into NYU, um, and I went, and I studied acting at the Atlantic Theater Company through NYU's Tisch School of the Arts. Sure. Um, I was there from 1994 to 97, Mm -hmm. and... uh, you know, when I got out, I needed to earn a living. So I, <laughs> that, that small, you know, detail. What? Are, we're artists. People to leave out of their biographies. We're They're just like, artists. Rich and famous. We're just rich and famous. Um, they just be the famous, but the rich part they forget about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about how that I was born. I was, so I got a job at a commercial production company as a receptionist. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it was a day job. I don't care what it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was very uh, fortunate because it exposed me to some type of filmmaking. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that was, let's see, I graduated NYU. I was 20. So it was 20 where it first even occurred to me that that was something I'd be interested in. Mm -hmm. And again, I was, you know, that was my day job. I was making money, shitty money, but money Mm -hmm. and, you know, foraging things away. And while I was auditioning as an actor and I was getting little shitty roles that were super lame and I was like, Oh, this sucks. This sucks. Um, a lot of so student, a lot of student projects, student projects off, 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 off Broadway, you know, like just, so like Virginia off Broadway, <laughs> like you were in Virginia, yeah, yeah, exactly. like Idaho, Idaho um, off Broadway. Got it. <laughs> Uh, but also the, the roles were like super light. You know, I was like this sweet little, or I looked like a sweet little 20, you know, a hundred pound, 20 year old, fair complexion, red hair. I got all these nice girl roles, these girl next door roles. And I was like, Oh, this is awful. Um, of course, looking back now, honestly, that's what a lot of women's roles amount to is these nice girl wives supporting. I didn't know that at the time. I just thought, fuck this, this sucks. Right. Um, So I was like, I'm going to make something on my own. You know, I thought 
I saw people making stuff. I can probably figure that out. So I made my first short film when I was what, 20, 21. Um, you know, it was on 16 millimeter film. Wow. We read, you know, I got Panavision to donate a camera. I got Kodak to give me film and, you know, took over an apartment or two for a weekend. And uh, the film was horrible. Mm-hmm. But I loved it. I was like that for me, that was my Goldilocks moment. I, I loved every moment from mm-hmm. conception to screening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, this is what I'm doing. And I went to film school. So then you did a, a handful of shorts and how do you go from doing a handful of shorts to directing an Academy Award nominee? Shit, when you put it like that, it sounds really good. No, because you literally went like, I did a couple short films. It was really not that good. But then your first feature is... Hold on, hold on a minute. Okay. The first one was not that good. Okay, the first one, no, no, that's what I meant, that's what I meant, but that's why you stopped. So I don't know where, I don't, I don't know what else is left. I don't know if you just went straight from a bad short film to directing an you're Oscar right, nominee. Right. That's not the whole So story. you need to continue so I, going. I applied to film school. I got into USC. Mm-hmm. Um, studied directing through the MFA program there. And and something that I was really fortunate, again, I've had a, look, I'm a really fucking hard worker, but I'm also really lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I say that, especially, you know, as, as, as your audience is, is curious about learning about the industry, as you go through your career, you will meet people who are more talented than you, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. who are more skilled than you, who have better connections than you. Um, they might not be the ones that end up rising to the top. It doesn't mean that you're better than them. Uh, it just means that it didn't happen. Um, so that's why I, I, you know, yes, I'm really hardworking and I hustle. Um, and I think I'm pretty good at what I do too, but I'm also really lucky. So to that, you know, I got into film school. I went to film school. Um, I, you know, cause I was paying with student loans. Um, I tried to stay for as short as I possibly could. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I only wanted to direct. So I didn't take any classes that weren't directing. Mm-hmm. I took all the extra classes that let me make stuff. Mm-hmm. And that was the total strategy. I got to the end of uh, my thesis project and I was like, okay, I've got a full semester of critical studies classes to take. If my thesis film does well, I'm out of here. And if it doesn't, I'll stay, take that semester, and I'll make something else, hopefully better. Right. And so my thesis film went, got into Tribeca, and I was like, I'm out. <laughs> so I had a whole semester of, of courses left that I was like, no way, dude. That's like 30 grand. Are you crazy? Yeah. So uh, that was my first short film, you know, proper short film. Sure. Uh, then um, I did another film called Touch, which was really the thing that opened all the doors for me. Um, that film is a very simple, simple film. It's two women standing on a train platform. Um, you can find it online. Mm-hmm. I, I can give you the link. Um, it did incredibly well. It went to over 100 film festivals around the world, <sighs> won most of them. Uh-huh. Um, and that one of the wins was the Florida Film Festival, which then qualifies you for the Oscar. Right. Um, which I did not get. Yes. Um, <laughs> did not even get into the last 10. I was so bummed. All right. um, but um, I did get the, get the attention of some producers who, at the time, I was pushing a project forward. 
mm-hmm. which was this script called Kelly and Cal. Um, and you know, my background with my family, I don't really have any contacts except for whoever I made while I was working. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to get this film made. I'm going to find the money for this film. And, um, I just basically knocked on every door that was appropriate. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's really important when you, when you explain when that, explain that. Okay. Here's, here's, here's my general rule of thumb. I do not ask for something, um, from a stranger or any cold call type of situation that is not going to benefit them. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just that that's, that's the language of this business. I will ask a friend. Mm-hmm. I will ask a family member, but when you're getting into business relationships, it has to be win-win. Mm-hmm. So that means asking the appropriate person. So for example, when I was trying to get Kelly and Cal made, I spoke to a friend of the family, uh, a friend of the family, a friend of mine and my husband's. Mm-hmm. So same age, not like, you know, whatever. And he's a manager and he, he, he oversees a lot of big studio, um, superhero movies. Mm-hmm. And I was asking him his, his advice. And he was like, I have no idea how these little movies get made. None. Yeah. I've, I've spoken to many of these big studio guys that did just, they like you say, I made a movie for five grand. They're like, I'm what? sorry. I'm sorry. What? what? That's not even our coffee money this week. He had no idea. He was like, Jen, I couldn't, I would be the worst. I, I have no idea. <laughs> right. Once you do it, let me know. I'd like to know. And I'm like, okay. So, you know, you don't ask Spielberg to produce your short film. I mean, maybe you do if you know him, but that's, that's the thing. Do you know the person? Sure. Um, so in any case, I was, I was trying to, and I was getting to the end of my list of producers and, and, you know, when somebody would say, no, here's the other thing. I knew the script was really good. Okay. I knew the script was really good. I knew my work was really good because it's after I did touch. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wasn't asking for a favor. I was presenting a package that was valuable. Um, doesn't mean it was a complete package. You know, we needed financing, we needed all these things, but what was there was valuable. And that's something I think is really cool about the film industry is we all need one another. So make that work for you. People, people look at that need of needing one another and they see it as a negative. It's like, no, somebody needs you too. <laughs> right. Great. Um, whatever level you're at, whether you're making your first shitty short film or you're making a multi hundred million dollar feature, there is somebody at every level that needs you. Mm-hmm. Your task is to find that person, people. So anyway, so uh, while I was looking, this is where the luck came in. Uh, these two producers, Mandy Tagger and Adias Roney, New York. I'm in LA. Mm-hmm. They called me out of the blue. And they were like, hi, you know, we're Spring Pictures. And um, a friend of ours saw your work on the festival circuit. We're looking for up-and-coming female directors would love to know if you have anything you want to make. That doesn't, ha- like, that generally doesn't happen. Get the fuck Who is it? Here. Who is this? <laughs> Who is this? I was like, uh, okay. But I will say like uh, being a woman in this industry, and this is a challenging thing to say, but you have to be open to paths that are not traditional mm-hmm. because we're blocked out of the traditional paths. So, it, you know, so I said yes. And mm-hmm. I was like, actually, I do. 
Now, I'm not an idiot either. I looked them up. I yeah. saw the legitimate, you know, I. Yeah, yeah. So you did your due diligence. I did my due diligence and I was like, look, I have this film I'm trying to get made. I think it's great. Maybe I'll take a read. They read it. Two weeks later, I was in New York. We were meeting. And I think a month or two later, we were shooting. That's insane. It never right. happens. It's insane. It never happens. And now I'm frustrated with the world that that doesn't happen on a regular basis. <laughs> That's like <laughs> was, so never, especially was, your first feature. Never. Yeah. It's my first feature. It was $1.1 million. We premiered at South by and we won there. And you also starred uh, a little yeah. actress by the name of Juliette Lewis. So, here's the thing. Yes. She gets so much props for starring in this film, not because, and again, this goes back to how you approach people that you don't know, mm -hmm. not because she was helping me. You know, mm -hmm. you don't go to a star and say, I think you'll be great in this movie. Of course they'll be great in this movie. That's why they're fucking A-listers. Right. They know that. Right. Um, but we had something that she was looking for too. And, and she responded intensely to the role. And when she and I met, we hit it off mm -hmm. and she trusted that I would not make her look like an idiot. And that takes it, but that also takes an actor who's extremely comfortable in, in their own skin. Not only that, it takes a particular type of person. And mm -hmm. you know, the thing that I absolutely adore and admire about her is she does what the fuck she wants. Yep. And not a lot of people do that. And sometimes even fewer women do that. Right. She does, but, and then when she does it, she commits. When she says yes, she is 100% in. I have so much respect for that. I just, and, I adore her. Now, let me ask you a question. How was it, because um, I always, like, anytime I, I talk to directors who are directing a caliber of, of Juliet's, of Juliet's uh, stature. Yeah. How do you direct an Oscar nominee? You know, like, how do you walk in the door and like, because obviously they can act. So yes. again, a lot of, a lot of people listening, a lot of filmmakers listening, like, you know, I had a, and I'll tell you the answer. I had a, a director on that directed John Malkovich in a film and I, and I asked him the same question. He had, a, he had a great answer, but I want to hear yours first. How do you direct? Like, you know, how do you like give notes? How, how does it work for you? How did it work? Well, here's the thing. She, yes, she's an amazing actor. And by the way, that's part of directing is making the right casting decision. Mm -hmm. So once you make that decision, calm down, dude. Like most of the job is done. However, it's her character, but it's my movie. Right. And directors and again, going back to directors and actors need one another. They need to know that I'm keeping them in the same movie that we agreed to from the beginning. It's your job to. Yeah, absolutely. And I need her to do that. And she needs me to make sure that I'm doing that. So it's not, um, it doesn't rank or it doesn't matter. It, all my notes are about, are we making the film we said we're making? Right. And that's, and, and see, that's a, that's a distinction with, with first time filmmakers that I found that, and myself included is when you, when you're working with actors, like you don't go to Juliet Lewis and like give her result directing. You know, like you, that's not what you do to her. You know, you don't like, like you don't try to do something like that. You just kind of guide her into the direction. And I think in many ways, at least from my experience working with this actors, you put them in a, you put them, there's, a, I always say you have this playground, here are the barriers. It's my job to keep you in those barriers. Well, however you want to get through, as long as we're there, we're good. Would you agree with that? 
I think so, but I think you also have to be open to them coming up with something Absol- better. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and uh, look, when I when I work with any actor, it's mm-hmm. not. It doesn't matter who. You first talk about what is the film that we're making. What are the characters? You know, you you have those discussions. What are we doing? You're it's just like in a movie. You're setting the rules, and then you execute that. So. Then when I'm on set and I am watching a performance, so, you know, I think about this a lot. I think the number one, one of the number one things a director does is, is don't let anyone lie. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't allow a, a, a bullshit performance to go without speaking up. Mm-hmm. Don't allow a prop to come on your set that doesn't make sense with the, time period or the character or mm-hmm. th- those are lies. Mm-hmm. And, and that adds up to meaning, um, over the course of your film. And, and that's what you're there to do to protect the truth of the film, which interestingly is made up by lots of things that are completely imaginary and fake. <laughs> right. So you're really lying the whole time, but you know what, but, yes, with, you're within- lying. Ah, but, but you're lying in service of a truth. So it's okay. Touche. Touche. Um, and by the way, the, 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 what the other director said yeah, with said? John Malkovich, he walked up to John on the first day and said, uh, John, um, you obviously can, you can act, obviously act. You're, you're, you're a fairly good actor, John. Um, how would you like me to direct you? Yeah. Which I That's felt, totally I thought that, and he's like, that is a wonderful thing. Thank you for asking. And, and from that moment on. And I, I believe I asked that. I, well, the other reason I, I ask actors that too, I don't say, how would you like me to direct me? How would you like me to direct you? I say, how do you like to work? Mm-hmm. Because every actor is different and every actor needs different things. And, and the answer to that question may be more um, useful than you could have ever imagined. Oh, yeah. It could be basic from like, I give my best takes on take two mm-hmm. or I need 10 takes to warm up mm-hmm. or I don't like people to look me in the eye when I'm on set, whatever. They will, they will tell you what they need. And that's what you're saying. You're saying, how can I support you in doing the best job that you can do? And, and, that, and if you don't ask that question, that's where all the headaches, all the drama, all the things happen. And then you've got a Christian Bale situation uh, on set. Hey, what's a Christian Bale situation? Didn't you, didn't you hear him when he blew up I at the DP? Tell you what, I, I agree with you. people walk in actor eyeliner. No, I agree with you. I know, but I agree with you 100%. It was completely the DP's fault. But the point is that, and, and I'm sure it wasn't just that one moment either. I'm sure that was building and building and building and Well, building. and you don't know. Look, I wasn't there. I, I wasn't there either. I just heard but it. Who knows? He could have been building about something else. And it's this guy that gets it taken out. Who knows? Who knows yeah. what the situation. But no, but that's when drama happens on set. And if you don't like ask like that, you're like, how about if you're the kind of director that only likes to take two takes, but they get warmed up at 10. That's yeah, probably that, a good piece of information to have. That's a problem. You, you, should, you would like to know that in advance. And, you know, I think that's the thing is like treat everybody on your set as a professional. Yes. If you hired correctly, mm-hmm. you are working with people who are very skilled mm-hmm. and are additive. That's why they're there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, let me ask you a question. What is the major challenges facing indie filmmakers in today's film industry, in your opinion? So it's such a weird question. I mean, like we have to say like, okay, you're asking that question on January 3rd, 2019, mm-hmm. because I feel like every day the industry is changing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, you know, with Netflix, I got to say, honestly, it's mostly Netflix. <laughs> they are. Um, <laughs> they're they're a beast. 
there are beasts and there's good things and bad things about that. It means more variety of filmmakers are getting to make films. Mm-hmm. Um, Budgets it, are going down though. Budgets are going down. Money's money's becoming thinner and, at a certain level. Well, and you know, is, is, I, I don't know. Like what is the process? I, I talked about this the other day on April Wolf's uh, podcast, Switchblade Sisters. We were discussing a movie I love called Under the Skin. Mm-hmm. And oh, I that's really, the, is that the one uh, with Jonathan, the... Yeah, uh, with uh, Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. But I really believe that process dictates product. And what we're seeing right now is this... It's almost like the old school studio system where they're just cranking them out. Oh, man. So... Yeah, that's good in some ways. I mean, I would have liked to, I would love to make a movie a year. Um, the question is, are we seeing the same filmmakers? Are they able to build and grow and make, I don't know. It's too early. Um, if you're working outside of that system, it's look, it's easier to get money now than it was a little bit ago, you know, maybe, maybe six years ago. Um, but Here's something new filmmakers don't, I think, understand. The majority of money that's in the indie film system is coming from the same few people. Mm-hmm. Everybody's going after the same money. So unless you're raising it in a really, you know, low budge sort of way, uh, which is people you know, um, you're competing as well. With actors, with projects that have bigger actors attached, that have an easier way of recouping their money, genre movies, Mm -hmm. all sorts of different things. And every year there's a different trend, you know? So it's like right now the trend is um, actresses stepping up to direct. Awesome, cool, sucks for me, you know? (laughs) Uh, But you are an actress that can direct, but you haven't. (laughs) Not not a real one, not like a, no, no. But look, it's all about value. It's all about mitigating risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you have a recognizable name topping your film, that's a, that's a risk mitigation. So that's a good thing for investors. Right. And, and between that and genre and budget, like if you make a, a you know, $100,000 horror movie with at least one or two names on it, you're going to have a good chance of recouping your money and also making a profit. I got to say, though, I think that only applies to genre movies. Right. I used genre. To think, genre. Yeah. Genre. I used to think, you know, make your movie for as little as you can make it. I'm not so sure. I think that might be wrong advice because um, here's the thing. If you can get somebody to invest $5 million into a movie, Oof, yeah. they're going to make it successful. They have to. <laughs> <laughs> they fucking need that money back. Yeah. Rich people can part with a million bucks. Mm-hmm. So when the going gets tough and your film comes out, all of a sudden it's okay. You know, let's just, it's a write off. It's a, it's a write off. Yeah. So I, I, I think that that make your money, make your film for as little as possible. I'm not so sure. I always agree with that. It all depends. It all depends on what you're trying to do and what kind of to- story you're trying to tell and yeah. all that kind of good stuff as well. Like, you know, I've made movies that are under $10,000 and I've worked on shows that are, uh, no, I know. And I could tell you all about it off air. Oh yeah. I'll, I'll tell you all about it after, after we get, uh, 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 uh. You know, the other thing is I, cause I came from commercial production, yeah. like, cause that's what I was doing when I was making my money. I always thought a film set was, you know, 60 people. 
That's how you make a movie. (laughs) That's what it is in commercial sets. So when I show up to my little indie film set. With like 10, 15, 20 people? Yeah, yeah, 25, 30 people. I was like. My God. You're living. Are we we a real movie set? So you can't even comprehend shooting a movie with like three people. I, 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 it doesn't appeal to me. It doesn't. I no, no, it doesn't. But again, it's all, it, I always tell people this. Everyone has different brushstrokes. Everyone, totally. hey, everyone, like there's some people who love to work with no script and love to do complete improv. And other, I know, I know freaks out. Some people freaks out, you know, some actors, it freaks out. Some people like making, you know, five movies that cost $10,000 each, and then they can double that money. And all of a sudden they made 50 grand for the year and they're happy. That's a doable business model. Not for everybody. Work for Joe Swanberg. I mean, that's what Joe Swanberg did back in the day yeah. before he got his Netflix world. You know, it all depends on like. Hey, I could be totally wrong. We have to have this conversation again in another 10 years. <laughs> and I'll be like working at Starbucks and you'll be like, see, I told you, you should have made a $10,000 movie. <laughs> like if you look at like someone like, you know, Michael Bay or Zack Schneider, they can't even wake up for less than $100 million. Like I it's- look forward to the day that that's associated, that comment is associated with my name. <laughs> exactly right. I don't even get up for less than 100. I can't. <laughs> How does yeah. someone function that way as an artist? I don't understand. Well, um, <laughs> the question about art, that's another thing. I mean, this is the thing. When you're taking money, uh, you have to earn that back. You have to, it's, it's, it's such a fine line between art and commerce. And it, there is, I always, I, I, I stole this from a friend of mine named Susan Lyons who says, the word show business is, is out, right? But the word business has twice as many letters as the word show. Funny. And I'm like, that's a great, great line because it's true. Because without that business, there ain't no show. Well, look, here's the thing. If you want to make, you know, I don't know what. And by the way, that thing that I'm being disparaging about might be fucking genius. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah. But you don't get to have $20 million to make it. That's all. That's exactly. And I always tell people that I'm like, look, if you want to go do art, you can't make art with $10 million. Like that, that doesn't. Even Martin Scorsese takes it took him years to get the money for silence. I mean, yeah. literally you know, over a decade. Something I think about a lot that I think this is kind of speaking to is a lot of people start in the industry and say, "I want to be a director" or "I want to be a producer," "I want to be right. a writer." You need to be way more specific than that. What kind of director do you want to be? There's a big difference between um, you know Michael Bay and Julian Schnabel. Right. There is. Those are different directors. Yes. Those are different careers. Those are different perspectives, everything. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you want to be a television director? That's Um, a whole other world. A whole other world. Oh, are you going to be a television director? Okay, you're doing scripted, you're doing non scripted. You're doing single cam, you're doing multi cam. You're doing sitcom? The drama, it's it, it absolutely. It's you and have to be very totally specific. Totally different routes and to, you totally different skill sets. Uh, absolutely, Ab- absolutely, without question. It, it's it's interesting. It's interesting to see. You're right, like Michael Bay and 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 Joe Swanberg, you know, or or Mike yeah. du- or Mark Duplass, you know. It's yeah, like Woody or Woody, yeah. ex- ex- exact, completely different world. Now, I want to ask you something that I have not asked a female director before. And I think this is where I, w- I want to kind of get into it a little bit with with this, because I, th- I feel that you're going to give some insanely good answers. No pressure. Um, <laughs> you know, we all hear about diversity. We all hear about giving females, uh, you know, better opportunity, female directors, uh, minorities more, because it actually opens up the 
the palette of cinema. It opens up the palette of television and of stories that are being put out there. I do feel that that has changed dramatically in the last two or three years. Yeah, and it's very recently. Very, very recently. And it we'll is starting... Right. We'll see how long it sticks. But for right now, like it is starting to move in that direction, uh, at least here in America. Um, What are some of the challenges that females directors have to deal with in this business that a a male director like myself, I am a minority director, I'm Cuban, Mm -hmm. um, and I've had to deal with other things. But as a female director, how does that, um, what are the things that we, we as outside of being a female director have no idea that you guys deal with? So it's a tricky question to answer because I can only speak really from my experience. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Um, And for example, you know, women in film groups, so a lot of people talk about their experiences and sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't have that particular problem, Mm -hmm. but I have this particular problem. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and that's kind of the challenge of talking about any group as a group is (laughs) that it's made up of all these individuals, you know? So, um, what I can say, um, so there's like systemic issues, individual issues, and sometimes those overlap. Sometimes mm-hmm. systemic issues affect you personally. And sometimes the way you're, you are personally, uh, contributes to, to mm-hmm. excuse me, mm-hmm. systemic issues. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, you know, um, I think people expect me to be a little warmer than I am when I'm working. Um, it's like, I have a job to do. I need to do my work. Um, you know, I think, and now that comes from my my background, from how I learned to make movies, to make movies. I learned to make film on massive commercial shoots. Right. The director would speak to their heads of departments and that's kind of it. It's not a rudeness. There's a lot of fucking people, you know, it's being professional. You, you have a lot of budget. In that environment. That's what I'm used to. So, you know, uh, in an indie film world, um, my expectation doesn't match the world. My expectation is I tell you what I want. It appears (laughs) in an indie film world. Sometimes there's follow-up questions or sometimes it just doesn't show up. Or it doesn't show up. (laughs) Wait a minute. Didn't ask for that two hours ago. (laughs) Do words come out of my mouth and then not appear? I, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but that, that, again, that has to do with me specifically and my background specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, I hear some women talk about, you know, disrespect from the crew. I don't have that. Um, however, that's because I work in indie film and I hire my crew. Right. And it's not like you walked on a set. Yeah. It's not like you just walked on a TV set or something like that. That's right. And that's a totally different dynamic. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of compassion for women who work in that environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the biggest problem is that we, women are perceived as a risk of some sort that needs to be mitigated against. Mm-hmm. It's silly. It is. Um, so that, that is the, the, the undercurrent, um, that we work in. Interesting. Um, yeah. Cause I mean, we just lost one of the, one of the, the most successful female directors, Penny, Penny Marshall, which she made two of my favorite films of all time. Well, actually, I mean, she did awakenings as well. I love the awakenings, but league of their own. I still think it's one of the best. I still think it's one of the best baseball movies ever, ever made period. It's a great movie. A, such an amazing movie. And I challenge anyone to watch it and not, cry a little bit at the end. She'd be like, okay, who, 
what women filmmakers are making movies like that now? I mean, now to be fair, we don't really make movies like that now. Well, period. Yeah, like a, a movie like that would not be made in today's studio system. It just wouldn't. Um, it'd be very difficult to. And Penny did have a little bit of juice because she just got off big, which was the biggest, you know, she was the first female director to make $100 million, um, which was amazing. And then she got, you know, League of Their Own right afterward. So she had a little juice coming in uh, behind her. And from what I've studied about her, um, Gary didn't help a whole lot, her her big producer brother. Um, He's like, he said it, she said it in an interview. She's like, look, Gary came up to me. He's like, I'm not going to risk my career for you. So <laughs> straight up, like he said that straight up. I can tell you something funny about that. Yeah, yeah. My husband does television. He does nonfiction television. He has his own production company. Uh-huh. I cannot tell you how many things I come up with and pitch to him. And there's this one show I've pitched to him. <laughs> and he's like, I don't get it. I was like, that's fine. I just need to be clear that you're passing because I am going to take this to one of your competitors and get it made. Uh-huh. Are you going to be okay with that? He's like, oh, maybe I need to read it again. <laughs> but what I heard that is like, I'm not going to risk my career for you. So you got to come in and knock it out yourself. Yeah. Um, it was it was extremely interesting. Now, but do you think the do you think the industry is giving more opportunities now to not only to women but also to minorities in in general? Um. In certain areas, you know, mm-hmm. I think it's really wonderful that there is actual research being done on this now, mm-hmm. because in the past, you know, an interviewer would ask somebody like me this and we'd say, yeah, I think it's getting better. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's based on my very subjective, singular experience. Mm-hmm. The fact of the matter is we can look at numbers because of the research being done at USC Annenberg by Stacey Smith and mm-hmm. Martha mm-hmm. Lousen at, at San Diego and see that in in big budget feature films, oh. it's not changing. No, no, because they don't. Okay. It's because of the, it's because of the risk mitigation that you're talking about. You know, even someone like Catherine Bigelow, who you know could rock it like the best. You know, James Cameron said it best. He's like, she kicks ass as an action director more than most boys. You know, it's true. And she having well, look at look at who. The few women that get to do stuff like that, why do they get to do it? Because they're, uh, you know, they're Lexi Alexander. They're a fucking Olympic whatever. In <laughs> the meantime, these schlubby fucking guys right. get to do. <laughs> exactly. They stop into the gym in a year and they're directing fucking, you know, I don't know, action, kung fu, whatever. Right. We have to be an expert in the top as well we can't just be directly think some of this is because people do not even in our business know what a director does right they think it's magic it's not magic it's it's, not magic. Sk- it's a skill it's, it's experience skill. yeah but they don't believe that they think it's magic and you know and i think one of the biggest pieces of advice i ever got is like casting is is 90 percent of your of a directing job as well as casting your crew hiring good People Absolutely. around you who know Absolutely. who are much more skilled in those arenas than you are. You yeah. know, arguably the only two directors that I know of that even people who've worked for them said that you know what these guys are probably better at what we do than we even are is Kubrick and uh, maybe Soderbergh. Soderbergh too. That's a third one, and Cameron. You know, and and because these guys are just they're freaks of nature. They're not. They're just outliers, um, but it's very true. And, and yeah, well, so you know what? But that's a 
a good point because we like to elevate the um, what is that word in math? It's like the odd, the odd thing, the fluke. Yes, we like to elevate the fluke and 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 then make decisions based, based on, on that. That's okay. crazy. So now, so this brings me to another topic, which I always love to talk about: the lottery ticket mentality. So the lottery ticket mentality is: who do they show? every lottery drawing, the winner. They don't show the billions of people who <laughs> lost. So the the mentality of the El Mariachi story, Robert Rodriguez, Tarantino's mythical story, uh, Kevin Smith, Spike Lee. Yeah, we tell Richard, those stories because we like those stories. Richard, Richard Linkletter. Those yeah. guys were like, oh, they made the little short film and they did this or or Paranormal Activity that was made for 30,000. And they, I love anytime I see a prospectus or, or an investment yeah. packet. Every single time. Like, you guys, it's not repeatable. It's like, look, Blair Witch made. I'm like, Blair Witch was 20 years ago. Why well, is this thing too. on the perspective? And then they're like, well, Easy Rider was like, Easy Rider? Are you kidding me? <laughs> because that was an independent movie back in 1970-something. <laughs> Like you have to know, I really think you have to know the business. I yeah. personally like the business. I enjoy yeah. the business. Yeah. I like the people that populate the business. I think that contributes to some of my luck, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, you know, if, if you have trouble, if you don't like people and you don't like the industry, <laughs> but still want to be it, rich and famous, <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. Why do I give you money when, you know, um, I think it's so important, and if any filmmaker listening to this right now really needs to understand that you got to understand the business. The business is not sexy. It is not the sexy part. Lenses are sexy. Cameras are sexy. Being on set with big stars is sexy. Uh, but when it's pouring out and you're on your 14th hour and you're over budget and you're going into OT that day, and if you don't understand what's going on, and then your actor's giving you problems and your DP's giving you, like, I need another three hours because I need to set this shot up. I'm like, dude, just shoot the damn shot. You know, this is not Oscar winning right now, guys. Let's just move it along. Okay. Oh, so this is one of the things that drives me bananas. Whatever yes. they talk about, to get back to women in film, whenever they talk about women in film, mm-hmm. they're like... They're not good enough. Okay. But what bullshit? That's like bullshit. But no. what, what kind of comment is that? But what doesn't matter what kind it's of comment. It's such a broad comment. The, the point is, you know, our industry is made of like what one percent Oscar winning films. <laughs> right. I'm sorry. How many Oscar winning films did you make this this year, Mr. <laughs> employee or employer? You I'm fine. I'm good enough for what you're making. Right. They always, they always set you up like, well, you know, Spielberg or Fincher or, you know, Soderbergh did this. And just like, why are you? There are lots of other directors making lots of other stuff. Right. And, uh, and doing what I do now, I've met a lot of them. I've spoken to a lot of them, I interviewed a lot of them. And the more you realize, like, again, it's that fluke mentality. They just put, it's just easier. It's easier to, because you can wrap your head around Kubrick. Oh, it makes you feel good. I mean, look, this is why we tell stories to begin with. Right. We tell stories to either validate our own experience mm-hmm. or, you know, make us feel a certain way, inspired, happy, sad, whatever. Um, but, but that's also why I think who makes stories is very important because yeah. when, when we're telling, when we're telling ourselves stories, which are, which are essential, you know, storytelling has been 
from the dawn of man, we were mm-hmm. telling ourselves stories. So clearly it's important. I'm not a sociologist. I don't know why, mm-hmm. but it's important. So if, if, if your story is about, you know, what, what is that phrase about a, a blind, two blind men grab an elephant, one grabs the tusk right. and one, you know, it's like, guys, yeah. if we keep telling the same stories from the same perspectives, we are not, we are doing a disservice Mm-hmm. to ourselves and to our audiences because we're not telling the full picture. Because that's not a reflection of the world we live in. It's not a reflection of the world we live in. And, you know, it, it doesn't – if stories are helping us figure out who we are, who we were, and who we're going to be, mm-hmm. when we leave out gr- entire groups of the population, is it any wonder that we have – difficult relationships with those groups or even worse villainizing them totally totally you know, you know i mean you can't you can't see a an action movie without a foreign uh <laughs> without a foreign villain <laughs> with an english accent obviously yeah. all yeah. all bad guys are english obviously <laughs> if you watch totally. movie, if you watch <laughs> you got some russians now russians are coming back russians are coming back <laughs> coming back but for for the longest time and even still today like it's always the british accent i don't know what is about a british accent that they thought is like that's obviously a villain (laughs) to american audiences it's no so i have a theory about the american british relationship and i in cinema or in general general oh wow okay it, it, it i think contributes to that they are the only population or country mm-hmm. on the planet before you can, be, before you before you continue i have a big english audience just throwing it out there <laughs> they'll, they'll appreciate that okay good <laughs> that americans are deferential to mm-hmm. okay what other what other group whatever would we allow to judge all of our baking shows judge all of our <laughs> all of our dancing shows Come and tell our president that it's okay to invade another country. <laughs> we give them such respect. I think it's because we come from them. I think I, there's, there's, yeah, I guess that's a very there's, good theory. That's a good theory. It's a good theory. One other country on the planet. Could you imagine Americans going, um, yes, yes, uh, Spain, so Mexico, or, or Spain, so or France, Greece. yeah, or Greece. Well, they are the British are the only ones to look up to. Well, and that's why we uh, we make them villains in every single. Uh, yeah, we got to get our thriller. arms back. We got to get our arms back a little bit. Now, I wanted yeah. to also talk about um, mentorship, and I think yeah. there's something so important. And I know a lot of young filmmakers don't understand this because it's not the same as it used to be with the apprentice and the master kind of relationship, which was so wonderful. That was one of the wonderful parts of the old studio system and right. old Hollywood because you would come in work under a master uh, in that field and apprentice under them to learn a craft. Uh, and nowadays, there is not a, not much of that left. No. And, and, and also, this generation coming up, and even just first-time filmmakers or younger filmmakers, they don't understand the value of talking to somebody who's walked that path. And and it has the it has the wounds has the scars to yeah, prove it. Yeah, and also it. understands the industry. Right. Getting back to what we said, like you could be a brilliant filmmaker, but if you cannot communicate your ideas to your team to execute, yeah. forget it. If you don't understand why the producer is asking you to put something in, if it really doesn't hurt the film, put it in. You know, it's called politics. <laughs> it, no, really, it I is. Mean, it is. Um, so, 
you know, I've talked to two people in the last six months. One's an actress, one's a DP. And they, they said similar things to what you're saying right now. The actress said, I don't understand in the last couple of years, the DPs are running the sets. Mm. What is going on? And I was talking to my friend who's a DP and this person said, um, you know, I just did the show and like this director didn't even know how to set blocking marks. Like didn't know what a blocking rehearsal was. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if it's a lack of respect going back to the idea of this is magic that Mm -hmm. you're talented. So therefore you're a director. Um, the lack of this being a professional skill, I think not having an apprenticeship contributes to that. Mm -hmm. I think this, this might be the bad side of the coin of everybody having a camera in their hand. Um, there's lots of great things about it, but this might be, be one of the not so great things about it. Mm-hmm. No, no, without question. And you also do, you're part of a program that does uh, mentorship for female directors, correct? Are you talking about We For She? Yes. So We For She is a program that I am a mentee in. Okay. Um, a very wonderful director, Mary Lou Belli, mm-hmm. um, is basically vouching for me. Okay. The program is to get women directors who have not directed episodic television, their first um, job directing episodic. And the way they do it is they choose eight or nine directors, and each of those directors has a bigger director vouching for them. Basically, she's acting as my insurance. I am eternally grateful because the first class of directors that went through this program, the first nine who had never directed a single episode of television, Mm I think in two years have directed combined 65 episodes. Oh, that's amazing. It's huge. It's huge huge for culture. It's huge for those women's pocketbooks, which means their families. It's huge. And it's one of these programs that doesn't get a ton of press, but it's extremely effective. So I'm very grateful to be a part of it. That's, that's amazing. And episodic TV is, uh, is, uh, very, very, uh, lucrative. If you get into yeah, it, it's yeah. a, but it's, but it's also, it's a, it's kind of like a closed off club. It's such a closed Dude, off club because it's a lot of people that don't know the industry is like a lot of people like when we go into direct TV, it's it like you're walking into a really well-doiled machine normally yeah. and you're yeah. in there and you just kind of get kind of slid a slide in and then you just do your thing. It's not like you're going to create these insane new shots if it doesn't go with the style of the show. That's right. It's out. So it's fairly a little bit, and I'm not going to say the word easier than directing a feature film. It's different. It's different. It's different. And my understanding is you do not work consistently until you have done three episodes, three or four episodes. Right. Exactly. Getting hired. Yeah. Because, and it's also because it's such a lucrative thing and those positions, because there's only what now 15 episodes a season. If you're lucky, you know, the, the long 25 episode there, there are out there, but they're rare. I know. And the showrunner or the EP directs half of them. Right. And then if you, and then they have to like you. So it's like, literally I've, I've, I've talked to, to TV directors. Like if you've got a good personality and the cast likes you, cause the cast yeah. is so powerful on those kind of shows, especially the, the higher, you know, the, the leads and the EP, if they like you, like, you know what? Jen's kind of cool. Let's bring her back. She was really cool to work with. But if you have an attitude and you're not a, which is so funny. Cause I feel like sometimes, um, the indie film world rewards the wrong not the wrong things, but but what the what the indie film world rewards directors for mm-hmm. 
is not always what the studio and network world oh. is looking for in directors. Oh, absolutely not. I, agree, I mean, I agree with you 100%. Absolutely. Which is unfortunate because because we think that indie film is training ground, is not the for- road to, I'm not, I don't know. No, no. Indie film is, I think, a road to either building your own career and doing your own films is one. Uh, like shit ton of debt is what you it's know, chasing chasing your own money, building a production company, doing a bit. I mean, there's that, or it could leapfrog you into a studio film. You know, kind of like what uh, Coogler did, Ryan Coogler did with Black yeah. Panther, and yeah. you know, because that was an indie movie, and then, but that's a big indie movie, but it's still an indie movie, and that kind of catapults him into, and now he's in the stratosphere right. after after that movie, and that's what happens. That's you know, right. Like Soderbergh. Soderbergh did Sex, Lies, and Videotape. And then. Yeah, but when Soderbergh did Sex, Lies, and Videotape, that different. was 20 years ago. No, no, 30. It was 89. Fuck. Oh, God. We're getting okay. old. 30 years ago. It was 89. It was 80. We're getting You look like you're 25. I look like I'm 55. So I appreciate that. Um, but is, that was a very different time. Oh, I mean, they, the uh, studios had no idea what to do. They were like, what? Is, what? Who, what and then it wasn't an amazing though. Let, let's talk real quickly about the nineties. The nineties. We're gonna reminisce about. Oh, the way I have to remember. To I have to remember. I have to reminisce about the nineties because, and I was and I was in high school and college during the nineties. So it was the like fucking awesome. The nineties were amazing, and for the film industry, people listening who weren't around at that time, basically Soderbergh started it off. With and Sundance became Sundance. Sundance, yes. Sundance became Sundance in '89, really, because before it was like the USA Film Festival and a kind of. But that's, that's the right. moment where it, it became Sundance was with Sex Lies and Videotape. Yeah. Then every year there was a new, just prodigy that show up. So Robert Rodriguez, uh, Linkletter, Tarantino, Kevin Smith, a- anything that Christine Vachon touched. Yes, I mean exactly these all these. These filmmakers who just start showing up, and a handful of them have kept. You know, have a lot of them just fell off. Um, yeah, but, but think about the difference between then and now. But there's not as and, much and competition. And this is not just the criticism of Sundance. Any of the film festivals that have any influence, I don't know. I don't know what the percentages are, but how many of those are coming already with distribution? Oh, yeah. back then it wasn't. With, yeah, back then there was very little of that. It was nothing. It was absolutely indie film. And then the studios caught on and they're like, whoop. Fox Searchlight. Fox Searchlight. Sony Classics. (laughs) (laughs) All of a sudden. Is this good for our PR campaign for our Oscars? Yes, let's let's do this. Film Festival thing. How much do you want? Three million. Take it. Take it. Take it. (laughs) (laughs) It was a wonderful time. And uh, and then – I kind of it, towards the end of the '90s, and when we got into the 2000s, everything changed. But that one—that was a really interesting time for for. It started the independent film movement because technology had finally caught up. And but also, keep in mind at that time that was like the beginning of gay cinema being popular. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Greg, Ar- Greg Araki. So there was something yeah. unique for that um, uh, audience medium yeah. to bring two audiences, mm-hmm. like. Sundance was and still is in a lot of ways the heart of gay cinema. Gay cinema now transgender all of that absolutely. But it's not as novel now but at the time it was like oh, mind blowing what is this? Mm-hmm. You know um so it was it was a real leader in cultural conversation. Um it's not as because before like at that time we, we there was no internet. 
Uh, there wasn't as much right. media hitting oh, us. I remember applying to Sundance on a on a form that they had to mail you, and you mail it back. <laughs> and you would send your VHS. I don't remember. VHS yeah. or DVD, one of the probably, two. Probably. Yeah, exactly. No, it's it, it was a different it was a different time. But the but now there's so much more um there's so much more competition. Like this year, fourteen thousand one and two hundred submissions to Sundance. Okay. However, half of those were probably fucking horrible. Well, of course, of course. <laughs> so, but okay, let's okay. So, seven thousand good films. But even if it's only seven thousand, that that's a big job for screeners. <sighs> yeah. So that explains why they're nurturing relationships more. They're looking to their labs more. They're overwhelmed. Right, and it is, and and also I think a lot of ways, Sundance, South by Tribeca. There's a handful that actually mean like you know, there's there's a monetary value attached to being in the festivals. In a, in like a, five in the north in North America. Yeah, Toronto, those kind of places. Yeah, yeah, tell you ride those kind of things that actually mean anything uh, for a distributor. Uh, but their influence is not nearly as powerful as it was in the in the '90s. Like Sundance, Sundance is still Sundance. Yeah, culturally and like, look, Sundance is still Sundance, but I've I've worked on Sundance films. I, I know a lot of. You're right about that. Well, no, but listen, I've I've worked with Sundance winners, so understands. I've 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 interviewed Sundance winners. I've worked on Sundance films that, and I've seen it from the inside. Before you would get into Sundance, and you were off. Like yes, you were done. Yes. Har- Harvey, lack of a better term, Harvey would show up, no, and it, no. yes, Harvey Mir- Miramax Miramax would show up with a check. With and the lucky stick. With the lucky stick. Granted. You have now, you've come down been from the anointed. mountain. You've been anointed. You now can come in direct. And, yes. But it would literally be almost everybody that would get in would have automatic in. Now, it hell, it like maybe one or two of them, three, four out of the festival will get that, that kind of treatment if their film is like. Yeah, insane. I don't know. I mean, honestly, I think those would be interesting numbers to see. It'd be, I think that that would, you know, because we we filmmakers tell ourselves tales about these things. I think those would be interesting numbers to look at. Um, but I, I do know that in terms of the conversation, you know, the strategy is like, do we really want to premiere there? Because we're going to be, are we going to be able to raise a bot? Like, yeah, yeah, no, oh, no, it's it's brutal. It's absolutely brutal. And like, and then they, they're all fighting for the best films, and it's it's and a then whole the best programming, and then the, you know, it's like. And, and then if this film, wh- where am I going to get the most love? Am I going to get it at Sundance, at South by, at Tribeca? Who's going to give me the most well, love? I'll tell you what is handy about that for mm-hmm. people to understand is that comes to the point of understanding your audience. Mm-hmm. You know, each of those festivals is an audience. Each of those festivals has right. taste. Yes. It has a specific brand. Mm-hmm. You're an idiot if you don't inform yourself about those things. So, like um, a genre film will probably have a better chance at South by than it does at Sundance, depending on what it is. Generally, yes. I mean, yes. obviously, there are exceptions to everything. If your genre film has Brad Pitt in it, it's going wherever the fuck you enter. It, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. I remember watching Old Boy at Sundance with the director. In the and it was just the most amazing, and that was a midnight movie. And it was the most amazing experience ever because no one knew anything about that movie. You've seen that, I'm assuming. Yeah. Oh, it was such a. That, that was that was what year was that? Because two thousand four, no, two thousand five or six or seven, one of those times. It was. I've heard all about that. Yeah. Um, 
about this, but you would know. Did they always have the midnight? No, they didn't have. No, that was something that added later because they started. New. It's new, yeah, and and like Toronto has the midnight showings, and yeah, it became a thing. It became a yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To in, to get people get other kinds of films yeah. in that they would not normally get, and now they yeah. have what the Sundance next show or the that, there's another category of like yeah films. and they have interactive and they have yeah. television and they it's it's a lot it's it's definitely is definitely a lot now i want to talk about your latest film real quick which is yes. rust creek yes um I've, i haven't had the pleasure of seeing the film yet because uh because no one sent me a, a trailer uh, uh, but <laughs> i'm just saying i'm just throwing it out there i'm just throwing it out there no one sent me nothing i'm just saying I'm messing, oh I'm messing with you, Karen. I'm messing with you, Karen. Um, under the bus. Karen, Karen is, is no, no. I'm joking. But I did see the trailer, and it looks fantastic. I actually, I get sent trailers every day. Every day I get sent trailers, and it's a rarity that I want to see an indie movie. Like it's because it's just generally the trailer's not well put together, or it's just like uh, it's not that interesting. Or you've seen it before. Or we've seen it before. Um, your film, which you'll talk about in a second, I really didn't. I really like. I would not mind watching that. Like, I actually, I, I wouldn't yeah, mind I'm watching that. that poster. <laughs> Alex Ferrari said, "I wouldn't mind watching it. watching it. Not bad." <laughs> I, always, I always think it's really funny because I have dark sense of humor that no, you can, can work your ass off for years, sure, 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 years, sure. blood, sweat, and tears into a movie. Hmm? It premieres, oh. and there's somebody in the audience that's going to go. Eh. <laughs> well, because that's because they have no idea, and we're so bombarded <laughs> with media that they don't understand what it takes to actually put something on this screen. But no, yeah, it, but in all honesty, it doesn't matter to the audience. All joking aside, it does look yeah. phenomenal. So please tell Thank the audience you. what it's about and and any interesting stories behind it. Yes. So the film is called Rust Creek. Um, it opens in New York uh, at IFC Center tomorrow, January 4th. Nice. Um, I, I, yeah. And then it opens a bit wider. Uh, so select cities January 11th, and it'll be on demand as well. It's going out through IFC Midnight. Um, there's, there's two answers to the question, what is the film about? The first is about plot. So it's about a young woman in her last year of college in Kentucky. She gets a job interview in D.C. over Thanksgiving break. And, you know, she's kind of type A, so she doesn't want to tell anybody in case she doesn't get the job. Uh, in order to get there, she has to drive through Appalachia and shit goes down. Uh, so that's the plot. For me, what it is about is it's about the hope, you know, that you feel as a young woman coming out of school. You think all you need to do to be a grown up is get a, get a job and an apartment. And actually, you need to take the whole system down. Oh, uh, interesting. That's interesting to me. And that's what, you know, when I'm looking for, when I'm looking for movies, I'm always thinking, can I make something interesting out of this that the audience will enjoy? Mm -hmm. Can I keep myself interested <laughs> for the two years? Um, and that's on this. This, this is a project that I, that I pitched on, I interviewed for, and I was hired to direct it. That's excellent, which are rare nowadays. These these open assignments for directors are yeah. a rarity in general, so that you got it. Yeah. That's a, a testament to you. Because I, I really want to be those that old school director that I go in and I pitch and I don't have to write. You know, I, I love the process of bringing a script to life. Mm -hmm. um, that's your job. But that's your job. You're a director. 
That's what we do. Yeah. More and more, they want you to be a writer, director, and I don't find that as interesting. And now you have to be a writer, director, actor, or actress. <laughs> That's a whole other story. <laughs> yeah, not happening. Um, and any interesting stories of making it? Because I'm assuming Appalachia, is, it's wonderful sunny all the time. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's wonderful all the time as far as weather is yeah. concerned. So anything, anything go wrong? <laughs> Let me ask you a better question. What was your biggest yeah, challenge? Let me ask you a better question. What is the be- what is the most challenging thing that happened to you on the set of making that film? Honestly, this is the sa- probably the same answer as to the previous question, which was weather. Mm-hmm. Um, we were shooting in Kentucky between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Mm-hmm. Kentucky weather, which I did not know, uh, <laughs> no- notoriously moody. In that, you know, the beginning of the day can be 40 degrees, the end of the day can be 80 degrees, and there's a rainstorm for five minutes in the middle. Um, We had every type of weather. It was extremely cold. We had days where it was seven degrees. Um, We were primarily shooting outside. We were shooting in water. Um, We uh, One day, we were rushed to the basement of a building because there was a tornado coming. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it was, uh, the weather was quite challenging. Not Southern California film, film stable weather. Oh God. Yeah. I I forget because we we live here and and it's hard to, when you go outside of the state, you're just like, is that a, is that a storm cloud? And you look up and you forget what they look like. What I really, yes, and what I really forget is the bone-chilling cold. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. There's a huge difference between 32 and 7. Oh, huge. It hurts. When it's so cold, it hurts. That's just God telling you you need to leave. Yeah, go inside. We invented just, heaters for a reason. Just <laughs> just go. Just You shouldn't be outside. Um, and then also, you're also part of um, a website called Film Powered. Is that, yeah. That's your site. That's my site. I created that. So tell me so, a little bit about that. I started Film Power three years ago um, with the goal of then and still the goal now of um, increasing gender parity in working towards gender parity in the industry mm-hmm. across the board. So um, it is a membership of vetted professional women in film and television from script to criticism. So the members are writers, directors, lawyers, crew, uh, film critics, distributors, it's international. Mm-hmm. It is free. And what it is is peer-to-peer classes, social events, and jobs. Um, because what I realized working up the ladder is that the higher I got up the ladder, the more isolated I was becoming. Mm-hmm. Um, the more frequently I was the only one in the room, unless I was insisting on hiring in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, and you hire the people that you know. So it becomes a reinforcing uh, phenomenon. Where if you're surrounded by guys on this project, you're probably going to be surrounded by guys on the next project. By the way, nothing wrong with guys. Mm-hmm. I've worked with a lot of great guys and there's a lot of great guys that worked on Russ Creek. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing wrong with women either. Right. And they, they, they are skilled and professional and deserve a job and deserve to be paid um, and deserve to be held up to the standards that everybody else is. Fair enough. Fair enough. Now I'm going to ask you a few questions I ask all of my guests. Okay. What advice would you give a filmmaker wanting to break into the business today? 
today. That's that's the important part of the question, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, not 1991, not 1977. No. <laughs> not 1977. I'm not going to um, jump on the Universal tour and then jump off and open up a, a I little know. bullshit. Uh, bullshit. Like, and and I, I, I got my, I, I, I got, and this is, by the way, for people who don't know this story, there's a Spielberg story where Spielberg. he jumps off, he, he finds an office somewhere, sets up shop, and starts making deals for like six weeks until someone finds out who he is. And then Sid Scheinberg gives him uh, a seven year directing contract. Yeah, because that's how reality works. <laughs> um, all right. Nice story. Yes. Um, so, look, I think you need to find your people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you need to make stuff. And I think you need to test that stuff out on people who are not your family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> test it out on people who don't like or dislike you. Gotcha. They just want to see stuff. Got it. Um, and then do it again and do it again and do it again. And in the meantime – you need to sustain yourself as a human being, which means you need to have a job that pays you money so you can pay your rent. You need to take care of yourself. All of these things are important if you're going to sustain long enough for the time that it takes to turn it into a real career. Yeah, it's a long-term play. It's not a short-term play. No. And if you're lucky, hallelujah, you got hit with the lucky stick chances are that's not going to happen. So I wouldn't depend on it. Right. If you have a six month plan, you're probably not going to make it. Yeah. You need a six year plan. Yeah. You're probably wasting six months, quite frankly, go to the beach. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you should have a six year plan. A a 10 year plan is what I always suggest to people. Uh, Now, can you tell me what book had the biggest impact on your life or career? Tell me again, I, you broke up. Can you tell me what book had the biggest impact on your life or career? Oh. So because we spoke about the 90s, um, I used to read, uh, sh- it was called Shooting to Kill. Mm-hmm. That was the Killer Films book. And she did another one, which is on my bookshelf, and I cannot remember. Basically... Christine Vachon of Killer Films had mm-hmm. this book about f- indie filmmaking. Oh, wow. And I thought that was phenomenal. Okay. I haven't read it in a very long time, so I don't know if it's any good. <laughs> but at that time, mind-blowing. At the time, it was very, very transformative. What is the lesson that took you the longest to learn, whether in the film business or in life? <sighs> Probably... I don't know. I'm so many lessons. <laughs> I, I tend to need to calm down a little bit. <laughs> I, I don't know what you're talking you're very, about. I, I don't know what I'm actually have to fix you in post because you're very unanimated. So I'm right. going to have to bring you up in post. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. I get really impatient. Like I want things to happen now. Um, and it, it's hard for me to like take a moment and not feel like I'm wasting my whole life. Fair enough. And three of your favorite films of all time. Okay. So I love E.T. Okay. Great. Great movie. I love the ice storm. Oh, that was a good movie. Yeah. Um, there's so many just today. What comes to your mind today? I hate this question. There's so (laughs) many. This is a really like douchey film school answer, but I love three colors blue. Oh, nice. Just blue or all three colors? Blue is my favorite. I, if I remember, red is my favorite. I love red. 
I personally love red. I love blue too. Blue is my uh, blue is good. Uh, and and anyone who doesn't know that movie is by Christoph Kieslowski. Kieslowski, yeah. Uh, Kieslowski, who was an amazing director. Yeah. Uh, the Decalogue, uh, double yeah. double life of Veronique is a masterpiece. Yeah, he was a wonderful. Did you ever see Cameraman? Yes. Uh, wait, the documentary? No, it was it was him. A, a movie that he made. Called, it was like I went deep into Kieslowski. When I was in film school, and he yeah, this one said it's kind of a douchey film school answer. But wait, so which one was cameraman? Um, it was it was a guy who take photos. It was I think a sh- it might have been a short, but I'm almost positive it was a feature. I feel like I've seen it, but I, I I'm gonna say no because I can't speak to it. Okay, I, I don't. Yeah. Now I'm gonna I'm just gonna ask if you've ever seen this movie. I haven't spoken to many people who have seen this movie, but it is a Criterion Collection film. And oh it's, God. It's called it's called Man Bites Dog. That who did that? A couple of I think I don't remember if there were Swedish directors, it was a, a team. I've never heard of them again since. But now you have to look it up. But I, I know. Did you see my hand? Yeah, yeah, I saw the man and the hand just move over. So I was like, oh, she's looking it up. Man yeah. Bites Dog, which is about a documentary team following a serial killer. Okay, that's why I thought it was a documentary. But it's a mockumentary. I, I definitely, huh? It's a mockumentary, kind of. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I um. Okay, all right. Here's a, here's an obscure one from you. Did you ever see the movie? I I want to. I love say that we're film called, geeking um, out here. I love it. <laughs> I, I love that we're film I, geeking. I have to say, this is actually one of my weaknesses. I am not a great film. Like I don't have a good film knowledge because mm-hmm. of my path that I took. Sure. There was this film called, I want to say it's the, the I don't know if the, the, the film was called this or, Oh, the five obstructions. Did you see that? No, I did not see the five obstructions. It's kind of awesome. All right. Um, I'll, I'll put it on my list. Oh my God. I'm going to send you my list. I'm going to send you my master <laughs> list. That's fantastic. I'm so glad. You see, this is what happens with film geeks get together. We just start talking and talking. It's been an absolutely amazing interview. Thank you so much. I want to ask one last question. Where can people find you, your work, websites, and anything else about uh, your films? Cool. So uh, you can find me on my website, which is jenmcgowan.com. Mm-hmm. You can find Film Powered at www.filmpowered.com. Mm-hmm. I'm on Twitter at I am Jen McGee. And my movie, Rust Creek, uh, can be seen in theaters and on demand starting January 4th. Fantastic. And I'll put all those links in the show notes. Jen, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you for your so fun. Thank your, you for having me. Your raw honesty and dropping some major knowledge bombs on the tribe today. So thanks again. Okay, thank you. Again, I want to thank Jen for being so honest, so raw, and so forthcoming about uh about everything that she talked about in this episode and, and dropping some major knowledge bombs on the state of independent film and uh and all the other cool stuff we talked about. So Jen, thank you again. So, so much. If you want links to anything we talked about in this episode, please head over to IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash 295. And there you'll be able to find links to her new film, Rust Creek, which is pretty, pretty badass, I have to say. And if you haven't already, please head over to ShootingForTheMob.com. Shooting For The Mob is my new book about my experiences making a movie or almost making a movie for a gangster and hanging out in the mob, hanging out with uh, movie stars and 
you know, meeting Batman and all sorts of other cool stuff that happened uh, and, and actually horrible stuff as well. But it's an extremely interesting book. And if you're a filmmaker, you're going to want to read this book. It is an allegory of what not to do when you're chasing your dreams. And if you want to get access to the book early, head over to shootingforthemob.com and sign up to be part of my launch team. The book comes out February 22nd everywhere. Thanks again for listening, guys. And as always, keep that hustle going. Keep that dream alive. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. At T-Mobile, you don't have to choose between a great network and the best prices. We give you both. Switch your family of three or more from AT&T or Verizon to T-Mobile Essentials and you'll save up to 50% off your current service and smartphones. Bring your current phones to T-Mobile and we'll pay them off up to $450 each. Visit T-Mobile.com to find out how to save up to 50%. Up to $450 via virtual prepaid card for eligible device payoff. Allow 15 days. Savings may vary. See T-Mobile.com.